Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Which is, of course, Morse code for Achtung, Achtung. <laughs> that is absolutely my favourite. That's uh, just brilliant. I, I, I mean, my, I'm not very good at Morse. It was a bit slow, wasn't it? It was a bit ham, ham-fisted, but how about that? Yeah, I wouldn't uh, want you in next... the middle of the Atlantic with a U-boat crawling around, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're over here. <laughs> um, so, that's amazing. What do you think of that? <laughs> I love um, it. Uh, we'll be we'll be passing it all through an enigma encoder next week, and that'll fool all of you. Um, now then, Morse code was of course used quite heavily in the Second World War, largely by shipping. One problem: it took ages to spell out a message, which meant it was prone to detection by direction finding. So what they would use instead was the thing called a burst encoder, where what you'd do is you'd you'd record the message and then fire it out at high speed, so it would come out like that, and then you'd slow it down at the other end. Uh, that's incredible, isn't it? Did, did you enjoy a little bit of Morse there, James? I loved it. I thought that was completely brilliant. Because I was actually lying awake oh. this morning thinking, thinking of um, thinking of kind of weird languages we hadn't actually done yet, but Morse wasn't one of them. <laughs> so, yeah, brilliant. Absolutely yes. love it. I've, I've always, I mean, it's always amazed me when you see when you see people who are adept at Morse, how fast they go and how natural natural they are with it so i always think it's one yeah, of those yeah, sort yeah. Of really ama- amazing. amazing human skills and uh, trained trained skills right okay so uh, down to business a few parish notes for you all first we hope you enjoyed our live stream last week we certainly did enjoyed it enormously around 750 of you joined us live and bombarded us with some brilliant questions and outrageous comments um it's available on youtube if you'd like to watch it back i haven't watched it back i'm not uh, uh, it, you know Oh, it's a bit weird even watching after, yourself, isn't it? It is. Well, you de- even de- decades doing telly it is like the, it's worse than your voice on the answer phone message by like a million. I mean, uh, I it, uh, Frank Skinner's a sort of pal of mine, and he he's quite happy to sit and watch himself on TV and slaps his thigh laughing at his own stuff, which is kind of <laughs> which is very peculiar. But um, but I can't do. I can basically unbear it. But so I haven't watched it back. Well, we, I enjoyed it enormously. You, you enjoyed it, didn't you, James? Yeah, no, I did. Life, I really the... enjoyed it. I loved, I loved getting all the messages in, in sort of real time as yeah. we were doing it. It was fun. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, all, I'm all up for that and up for doing more. Brilliant. Um, the thing about kind of um, listening to yourself back is I, I, was, I have this really bad habit of start aping people's accents. I just can't help myself. <laughs> it's terrible in India, as you can imagine. All the deep oh, South James. America stuff. <laughs> so I really well, anyway. have to constantly watch it. Anyway, the um, the way that the live stream went really made us think about our battle plans going forward. So here's the here's the plan, and this up works. This plan works on a strategic, operational, and tactical level. We've decided to create a members club, which we're going to call the We Have Ways Independent Company. This way, we'll be able to do a live stream of the pod each week. It'll also enable us to provide more audio, book readings, our own chat forum, and a place for you all to tell us your family stories. Because that's one of the things that's been coming through via social media that we really, really like. We plan to read the best of them out on the pod each week, but they'll be there for you to digest, compare notes and comment on, which is 
Really excited because the interaction is really the thing that makes this podcast, for me, particularly special. Um, we're going to keep an up-to-date reading list on there. Plus, uh, yeah, so I'm reading at the moment, I'm reading John Buck- Buckley's masterful, um, it's his thesis really turned into a book about armour in Normandy, British and, Amer- and Canadian armour in Normandy, and which I think we might be might be pulling then is really on my mind and so that's what whatever I'm reading will go up our favorite books will go up on the reading list and and you know hopefully you'll then say well I read that and I thought it was pants um when (laughs) when this crisis is over the plan is to take this show on the road in some shape or form and members of the independent company will of course get first dibs on discounted tickets don't worry if it's not for you we'll still be producing two weekly pods in all your usual places so there's there's basically there's your standard membership then there's platinum Okay, so <laughs> and we've also we're also amassing a whole load of goodies, aren't we? Yes, yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, so our first live broadcast for independent company volunteers will be this Thursday evening at eight thirty p.m. Thursday night, eight thirty, a live stream. That's kind of when a history program of this kind for people of the like minds would probably be on, say, on a broadcast. That's probably the kind of time they put it out. Oh, isn't back it, in the day, nine o'clock. Back in the back day, in the BBC day. Two, eight thirty, nine so, o'clock. That was it. So we, so you don't need the BBC anymore. You've got us. How about that? <laughs> now, the reason... Now, the, this will cost a fiver. It's going to cost a fiver because actually five arranging all this stuff... Yeah, fiver a month. Piecing this stuff together, putting it out there, um, the technology um, and all that sort of thing does cost us a few a, a few pennies. And, and we want to be able to bring you the best content we possibly can. So because even though James and I are talking to each other now... I'm looking at a live screen with two other people, um, one of whom makes notes and goes, oh, God, they've said that again, and then edits it brilliantly. So you never know. So it's gone or it makes it sound cleverer. And then there's an evil genius mastermind top left in my screen, surveying all before him. And uh, uh, judging by the screen behind him in the Zoom, he lives in a big house. So he's got overheads. Anyway, James and I (laughs) will tweet the link to join and we hope to see as many of you as possible. Um, uh, Because it's the more the merrier with We Have Ways. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and a quick word on your brilliant reading of um, Zeno's Arnhem novel, The Cauldron Owl, which um, uh, a lot of people seem to enjoy. There's 12,000 of you listening each day, um, hopefully loving the story, finding some distraction from our current national crisis. Um, And uh, we do want to do a bit more of this, don't we? And um, you're going to be reading Dennis Barnum's fantastic account of his time as a Malta Spitfire pilot in 1942. And I just I love that book because I just think it's so vivid. But I mean, the aerial sequences are just amazing. um, I've made a start on it. I've read the first couple of chapters and um, he's a fascinating guy because he wants to be before the war as a teenager. He wants to become an artist. His descriptions of of um, him figuring out his artistic muse and how what he thinks the universe is saying to him and how he gets religion and how he and how he reconciles himself to war and. And all that sort of thing, and it's absolutely it's a it's a it's a fascinating book, and that and the action hasn't started yet. We're on a we're on the we're on the USS Wasp, Wasp, on on the way, yeah, to drop to to let the Spitfires take off as close as they can to Malta with their extra fuel tanks. It's a it's I, I'm very excited about reading it, because, and I've been uh, it, he is because he was a painter. The descriptions are incredibly vivid. Yeah, and I'm um, I'm very good mates with his um, son, older son Oliver, uh, and also his uh, younger son Michael. They're they're, yeah. they're great people, and uh, Oliver's a real character because he's got absolutely an amazing collection of militaria and yeah. ephemera. And he used yeah. to take Dennis, his mother, 
often on trips to France back in the day when you could sort of, you know, put a 57mm anti-tank gun on the back of a uh, back of a Land Rover and put it on the ferry to Brittany. No problem at all. So he used to do Happy all that kind days. of stuff. And he's actually rebuilt a Japanese tank, which is now at Bovington at the moment. Um, oh, so he's amazing. But anyway, he's all for it, and he's thrilled that you're reading it, um, as am I. So when this is... So when this is all blown over, we'll go. We'll go see him and and perv on his kit. Yeah, he's the guy who gave me a Bren gun. He said, um, "James, have you have you got a Bren gun?" And I went, uh, "No, I haven't actually." And he goes, "Well, would you like one? I think you ought to." And I said, um, "Well, that'd be lovely. Thank you very much, Oliver. That'd be brilliant." So um, that's how I got my Bren gun. Right. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I hope I hope he's got another one. <laughs> <laughs> He's a lovely fellow. He's a really, really good chap. Oh well, excellent. Well, well, his father's book is his father's book is fantastic. Right, should we begin? Um, yeah, I yeah. Can tell you're all stuck at home with idle hands because our metaphorical post bag is heaving. Loads to get through, and we thought it would be nice to start today with some of your stories. This is from Jay Martin, or it might be Martin Jay. Twitter's not ideal on some of these things, and it's an incredible story. You're going to love this, James. As James is currently writing a book on Sicily, I thought you guys might be a little interested in an episode my grandfather, Harry Keats, was involved in. Operation Fustian, Primasoli Bridge, which we talked about last time. Yep. Right? He was a medic in number four section, 16th Parafield Ambulance. Hmm. And he always said to my uncles how he got shot down and ditched in the sea. Years after his death, I did some digging and found his actual operational report on the incident. See below. Report by Captain A. Percival, REMC on Operation Fustian. Number four section of myself left standing, left landing strip B at 1950 hours on 13th July 1943 using a Douglas C-47 aircraft. The section consisted of one officer, one staff sergeant, one corporal, one lance corporal, 12 privates, Royal Army Medical Corps and one driver um, from the RESC. The flight was uneventful and we got our 20 minute warning at 2235 hours. As we, so they're going over the med. Yep. As we were hooking up, the aircraft was fired upon by a convoy. Ow! And, and that, if, if, when, you, when people say, what are the white stripes on aeroplanes in 1944, the D-Day white stripes, that's, that's what they're for. That's why. Fired upon by a convoy. The second burst of anti-aircraft fire hit us and put the controls out of action. The pilot, was, the pilot made a forced landing in the sea at 22.45 hours. We were then about 17 miles east of Syracuse. As the aircraft was landing, we took off our parachutes and got dinghies ready for use. We then sat down and prepared for the shock of the landing. The pilot made a perfect landing and nobody was injured. I detailed two men to go out through the escape hatches. They got out onto the wings and we passed them each a dinghy. I then detailed another six men to get out, three to to each escape hatch. By this time, the plane was filling rapidly with water and the escape hatches were underwater. So I told the rest of the men to file out of the jumping door. They did so in an orderly fashion until eventually the plane was totally submerged. I think that at this time there was Staff Sergeant Anderson, Corporal Amos, Private White and myself left in the plane. Staff Sergeant Anderson and myself managed to swim out of the aircraft, which was down 30 feet below water at the time. Apparently Corporal Amos and Private White failed to get out. We all gathered around the dinghies for about 20 to 30 minutes until we were picked up by a Greek destroyer. I was then able to check up on who was missing. There was Corporal Amos, Private White, Private Wheeler and Driver Went. We failed to see either of the last two mentioned in the sea using the ship's searchlight. Eventually, we were taken to Malta, docking there at 0700 hours on the 14th. Signed, Percival, Captain RMC, officer in charge of the section, the command of the section, at field, 16th July 1943. How amazing. That is absolutely... And also, it's it's just the incredibly bald, sort of stark language, isn't it? By this well, time, de- by this time, the plane was completely submerged. We had to but swim de- out thirty feet. Yeah, I detailed two men to get out of those <laughs> bloody escape hatches. Yeah, I mean, exactly. 
Uh, I mean, Jesus. It, you're right. That is amazing. You're right. I mean, you're how right. terrifying must that have been? I mean, unbelievable. Well, well how Jesus. much kit? And the other thing, how much kit is the, are these parachutists carrying? Although they're medics, so they're not all armed. They're not armed to the no. teeth, are they? But they'll have kit bags with plasma in and or, or whatever, or medical supplies. So if you're 30 feet below water in hobnail boots, and they've ditched their parachutes, which are incredibly heavy parachutes, they've, di- they've ditched their chutes. You're in hobnail boots with a steel helmet on. I mean, you probably flung your helmet off, but do you know what I mean? That's tough yeah, yeah, yeah. to get. I mean, you know, it's absolutely amazing. And then there's a footnote. There's an, um, a sad note to this story. It was just after, just a week after my granddad's untimely death in 1978. A gentleman knocked on the door of my nan's flat asking for Harry Keats. After being informed that he had just passed away, the man who was Scottish said he'd been searching for years to find him and said if it wasn't for my granddad, he would have drowned in the sea. Oh. He also asked if Harold had escaped from Arnhem as he said lots were captured. How about what a story? Wow. Gosh, that is That's that is really, Jay Martin or Martin Jay, whoever you are. F- thank you. That is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I've just been reading about an amazing crash this week, actually, Al, um, that Monty was involved with. Really? On the 28th of July, 1943. So he was going off to... So, so what happened was this big meeting between Alexander, Patton and Monty at Syracuse yep. on Sunday, the 25th of July. Yep. Basically, they were going to talk out stuff. Yeah. And Monty goes, well, I think it's absolutely great that you're performing so well. So I'd really like your your boys in the 7th Army to give a really good effort on the coastal road and on Highway 120, which is the one that goes through Nicosia yeah. and to Troina yeah. on the northern flank. And Patton is really suspicious about this. You know, what's the catch? What are these bastard limeys up to and all the rest of it? And actually, there's no catch whatsoever. You know, he just genuinely thinks it would be great if the Americans helped a bit. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so anyway, so... Uh, uh, well, originally he was in. Te- you know, the, the, the original plan was to burst into Catania, play and get Catania, push on up to Messina, and it will all be over yeah. in sort of ten days. That was the yeah. kind of best case scenario, based on the very rapid in, um, success they'd had in the uh, initial invasion. So that was why Seventh yeah. Army to start off with had a secondary role. But as the, the as the campaign develops, obviously it makes sense to bring Seventh Army into the fold. Anyway. Yes. Patton is, has his nose massively put out of out of joint because Monty hasn't arranged a band or fanfare or razzmatazz or laid on a lunch or anything. So basically, they've had this meeting. That would bother me. That would bother me. Well, it, honestly, it bothers Patton. I mean, when I come round, if when I come round to yours and there aren't pipes and drums, I get pretty. I have to say, I get pretty annoyed. Well, I have noticed that. So anyway, so <laughs> so anyway, so so. The, three days later, they're going to finalise their plans. So the, the idea is is the kind of final phase of kind of mopping up the island is going to start on the 1st of, uh, of August. So they go for another meeting and, and he flies over. And you'll remember that Monty has this B-17, which he's won in a yeah. sort of bet and absolutely insisted Eisenhower kind of honours. So he loves this B-17 yeah. and he insists on flying over there. So he's got Harry Broadhurst, who's the commander of the Desert Air Force at the time, on board. He's got Freddie de Ganga, you know, his chief of staff and various others. Yeah, and they fly into Palermo, but the airfield of Palermo isn't long enough for a B seventeen. So as they come off the hit, they touch down. The pilot suddenly realizes that they're going to crash into a hangar at the far end if they're not careful. So he has to apply yeah. massive brakes, and they're still not stopping enough. So he then puts brakes on one side, opens the throttle on the engines on the other, so that the plane veers off to, to, to the port side. And the whole undercarriage collapses. The wing tips the ground. One of the engines gets smashed. Anyway, the whole time, Monty's just reading a book. Of course he is. Gets off completely unharmed. Yeah. Not in the slightest bit fussed. Makes really no, no issue about it whatsoever. They then go off and see Patton. 
Patton has laid on marching bands, yes, yeah. um, Guards of Honor, the whole thing. He's he set himself up in the Palazzo Palazzo dei Normandii, which is the kind of you know the royal palace in Palermo. The whole shebang. well because it cast still because, absolutely suspicious. And you say Normandii because after all, the Normans conquered Sicily. It was was one of the one of the oh, of course one of the like de- one of the destinations. I mean, the, the, the peculiar historical links that span the span yeah, the yeah. centuries there. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, and I've just been writing about the castle of Roger II of Normandy, uh, over which this is the Azoro one that the Canadians yeah. were fighting up. Um, anyway, so, um, so, so he has this very, very near-miss crash, which, which if I'd read that before, I'd completely forgotten about it. Yeah. And there's your, just imagine, there's your what if. Just imagine, if that hadn't been for the... Yeah, if the, that's your what if, because if the, the, it hadn't been for the cool-headed, quick thinking of the pilot, I mean, they'd have probably all died. Yeah, they'd have they? all been killed. Yeah. And it'd be like... Blow up, boom, good night, Charlie. Like, like Bertram Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Incredible. That. Well, go. we're going to take a short break while I bring up the pit. See you in a moment. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Uh, well, we've dug in during the Battle of Corona Bulge, but it isn't stopping us getting plenty of podcasting out there. A mildly exasperated Donald Henderson has been in touch after listening to my reading of The Cauldron. Zeno's Cauldron is, of course, impossible to find. He also wrote Four Sergeants about Sicily. And he read that. Is it any good? Also based on his own experiences? Question mark. Love the podcast, by the way. My go-to pod. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, you used well, to be able to pick up that. copies of The Cauldron. I didn't know about that book. Yeah, well... Well, four sergeants. Nor do I. I mean, I've only read um, the Cauldron by Zeno, but he did write. He did write a, a, quite a lot of this kind of um, 
hard-boiled uh, war fiction. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you used to be able to pick up copies of The Cauldron for a couple of quid before I started reading it and well, talking I need about to, it online. I, I need to um, quickly look up Four Sergeants before this goes live then, don't I? Yeah, yeah, I think probably. You'll know, you won't be able to get your hands on it. There are no paperbacks, and Amazon has one hardback for £124.95p. Wow. Um, hold on, We're setting the up. agenda in out of print for Second Sergeants? World War books. Four Sergeants. Right, a cracking piece of correspondence from Dr. Guy Bowman of Exeter University. First, may I say how much I enjoy your podcast. That, I think that's saying loving the show, but I can't let the way of an academic would. Um, first, may I say how um, much I enjoy your podcast, citation needed, and the work that you tried to do, widen understanding of this, trying to do to widen understanding of the Second World War. Thank you very much. That is sort of what we're trying to do. I have recently written a book called The Indian Contingent, The Forgotten Muslim Soldiers of Dunkirk, which, ah, yes. which concerns... Force K-6 of the Indian Army mule drivers from the RIASC who joined the BEF in France and were evacuated in May and June 1940, some from Dunkirk. One company of 320 men ended up in POW camps and the stories of their captivity, some joining the German army and some escaping, are fascinating and completely unknown. The yes. rest of the men stayed in the UK until early 44 and made friends up and down the country, usually in small towns and villages. They fell in love and left several babies behind. All these stories are told in the book. Best wishes, Guy. Now, you, you, have you read this, James? No, I, I, do you know, I've, I've, do you I've know this it. stuff. I've got it and I've, I flipped through it because we were thinking of trying to get him in on the um, at the Chalk Valley History Festival, which obviously is sadly no, no more. Um um, yeah, and it's an amazing story, and it wasn't one I really knew about, I've got to say. I mean, I knew there were some Indian troops there, because um, everyone gets very hot under the collar when they watch Dunkirk and go, well, yes. there were Indian troops at Dunkirk, and actually there were. Um, uh, and the interesting thing about, well, the, look, about Force K is that... But, uh, but, but, I mean, but before you... Because of course they were, because the Second World War is a British imperial and dominion effort. Yes. It isn't It isn't plucky little England, it isn't the, the UK, it's an imperial effort, so of, co- so of course there were. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and it's absolutely fascinating. And, and what's also interesting is why um, the Force uh, K6 muleteers were um, were all Muslim. And that was because... Yeah. So they were all Pashtuns and Pathans um, from what is yeah. now Pakistan. And the reason was because whenever you get Indian troops involved, because there's many different religions and all the rest of it, they have all these different ration scales. And so yeah. they didn't want to complicate things. And um, Muslims have a less complicated... Um, uh, food requirements than Hindus, which is why yeah. there were Muslims out there rather than Hindus or all the rest of it. Um, and um, yeah, and they, did, you know, by all accounts, they did very well. Most of them were were, were picked up. There was some two and a half thousand of them. Most of them were picked up and and, and uh, got back across the channel. But there was this one company that that didn't make it, uh, and one of them managed to escape from his POW camp by pretending to be a French colonial troop. Right. I don't know why that was was particularly important, but and why that was different, but but that was the case. Well, because so, yeah. there were the, there was a there was an amnesty there, there was a, an amnesty, wasn't there, with French prisoners of war um, uh, uh, later in nineteen forty, wasn't there, where people it just sent they were they released maybe the that's captured, it. The yeah, Germans. yeah 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 and maybe. that's how he and so he passed himself off as a French colonial yeah in order he, to in order to in order to get out that's that must be that might that must be. I mean, I, I'd love to read this. Um, this sounds absolutely fantastic because this is the thing. Is the, uh, and and this, but this also goes. This also goes back to stuff we were talking about, Dan Tobb and all the stuff about British power and British reach. What was at Britain's disposal at the start of the war, which is this massive imperial effort. And here you have. I mean, there, there are mule drivers. But what you but what you can see is if it came to it, 
let's say that let's say that you end up with a stalemate trench warfare thing on the uh, in Europe, and that the you know they don't break through at Sudan and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That the Ardennes Falgelb doesn't work. Eventually, you're looking at, at at soldiers, lots and lots of Indian soldiers on a front line in France fighting the Germans, and, mm. and that 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 that's the long that's the long term kind of uh, projected thing. And then the Indian Army, of course, are all over the desert. But all over, um, we talked about Iran and Iraq um, again quite recently. Yes, that the Indian Army feature feature heavily all over the. You know, it's just it's just in Europe, yep. which is the bit people think of as the war primarily. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's the largest. The Indian Army, Indian Army, is the largest volunteer army the world has ever known. Two million yeah, volunteers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know there's incredible. there's a sort of uh, the, there's some debate about just how voluntary they were. You know, but but. <laughs> but um, <laughs> You know, but they were volunteers. I mean, you know, you you yeah. there was there was huge peer pressure within certain groups to kind of join up together and mm. in certain areas mm. and all the rest of it, um, and also with the Gurkhas as well. There was this the thing. Well, that that's but, what and, you and, did, and t- but also tied into that, um, British racial ideas about martial races that certain some of the you know Sikhs particularly were suited to military service. Yes, um, and other 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 parts of india peoples in india weren't weren't reliable as soldiers and and so they so you say a voluntary army of a volunteer army of two million how big an army if you if i mean they'd never been able to introduce conscription in india but if you if they'd really if they'd really tried hard to recruit people a massive army could have been uh, uh, delivered I, I suppose i mean that's yeah a, well i remember interviewing although the guy- politics I remember interviewing this guy called Mandeep Singh and he lived in a very small village. Um, you know, he was a sort of peasant family, incredibly poor. Yeah. Um, he got married because that was arranged by his parents and they suddenly realised they hadn't got any money and, and the recruitments were coming round and he suddenly thought, well, that sounds like a bit of a solution to a problem. Um, I'll get a job. <laughs> so literally, um, he went off and he didn't see his wife again for four years. But that's that's how men have joined the army, the armies of the world, time immemorial. I, I guess you're absolutely right. But it was just it was just so interesting this this whole process, yeah. you know. And I said to him, well, you know, weren't you a bit kind of, you know, we a bit not any concerns about kind of just leaving this your village that you've lived in all your entire life and suddenly being shipped over to Egypt? He was no, it was all quite interesting, nah, really. Nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay, so I've got the name of the guy who escaped. He's called Jemadar Jayan Dad. He disguised himself as a French colonial soldier, and um, yeah, got to the got to got to Gibraltar in the end. And apparently, he'd he managed. So he went over the Pyrenees, went over the Pyrenees, or maybe he got a boat. I don't know. But anyway, he got to Gibraltar. But he'd already served twenty six years in the British Indian Army at the time of his capture. Wow, wow, wow! It's what is the Jemadar? That uh, what rank is that? It's a sergeant, What's isn't that it? the equivalent it's of? It's a sergeant, I think. Isn't I think it? I've just. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I've just. I knew that. I knew this when I was writing Burma Forty Four, but but yeah. some information goes to the back of the filing cabinet, the mental filing cabinet. The rank remained in use in the Indian Army until 1965 as the lowest rank of junior commissioned officer. Oh, okay. So that's like a second lieutenant for 26 yeah. years. Maybe he. Maybe he. He got. He got a sort of commission in the field, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I, also, opportunities for promotion in the Indian Army had uh, British people in your way if you're an Indian. <laughs> yes, that's a fair point. That's a fair Didn't point. Didn't they? Yeah. You know, but uh, but yeah, it's an amazing story. Havildar is a Havildar is a, is a sergeant. 
And and I think a, a, a huge thanks to uh, to Guy for getting in touch. And um, that's the kind of book that will appear on the on the Patreon when we've got it up and running on our books. Maybe you should try a reading list. Things we're interested in because we want to we want to you know we're going to put some we, chit chat on there, aren't about... we? We're going to put a, we're going to oh, we're going to post stuff. Plenty of plenty of chit chat. Yeah, yeah, and yeah pictures yeah. of ephemera um, and, family... and all sorts. Yeah, family stories as well, because because I think that the, the the one we had just now from Jay Martin or Martin Jay, we'll never know. Um, uh, uh, please write to let us know. Um, it's just the sort of thing we're interested in, because it's that sort of patchwork of individual experiences mm. that um, you know you can weave together and create create a, a fuller picture. I think I put that quite well. I th- I th- yeah, definitely. Surprising, really. Definitely. Oh. Anyway, we have to go. Um, that's it for today. Zeno will be finished this week. Where the hell are 30 core? A reminder, <laughs> we'll have our Thursday bonus app. Um, uh, Thursday bonus app on uh, uh, first thing. And then we'll be live streaming on Thursday evening at 8.30 p.m. UK time. Um, more on that to follow on our at We Have Ways pod uh, uh, Twitter account. We'll be letting you know the details for that. We'll be retweeting it and letting you know. Thanks very much. Cheerio all. Cheerio. Cheerio.